Welcome to the Change Management Reviews Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. On this episode, we welcome Enclaria founder Heather Stagel. Heather is also the author of 99 Ways to Influence Change. I'm sure you'll enjoy this interview with Change Management Reviews, Teresa Moulton. Today I would like to welcome Heather Stagel of Enclaria to join us on the Change Management Review podcast. Heather is the founder of Enclaria, where she equips individuals and teams to influence change at work through individual coaching, team workshops, and training programs. She is a blogger and radio host of the Influence Change at Work show on Blog Talk Radio, as well as the author of 99 Ways to Influence Change and the Change Management Toolkit, the Irresistible Change Guide. Heather holds a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Engineering from Northwestern University and an MBA in Leadership and Change Management from DePaul University. She serves on the board of the Organizational Change Alliance and in the Atlanta area, and she's here today to uh, talk about the five levers of influence when working with change in organizations. So welcome, Heather. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, we're very excited to have you. Um, I've always uh, looked at your book, 99 Ways to Influence Change, and wondered how many of them I could actually use at once. So this is a great conversation uh, to start it with. <laughs> uh, so why don't we just go ahead and dive in. Um, so as I was preparing for this uh, discussion, you know, I thought it would be interesting for you to uh, describe what the five fundamental levers of influence are and tell us a little bit about how you've used them in your work uh, with organizations today? Sure. Well, I'll, let me, I think the best way to talk about what they are is to talk about where they came from. And you okay. mentioned the book, 99 Ways to, to Influence Change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I wrote that book in 2010 after doing a bunch of research about what are all the different ways that we influence change. Uh, came up with a list and then wrote a book about each of them. And it wasn't for a couple of years, probably, until I actually thought to myself, I wonder if there's a pattern to all this. (laughs) And so I started to look at the list and put things that were alike together and see, you know, what kind of categories or patterns I could find. And it turns out that you could really categorize all of the 99 ways into five fundamental levers of influence. Oh, that's good. So basically, okay, so those 99... Uh, ways to influence fall into these five buckets, per se. Right, exactly. Okay, awesome. And so the way that I use that is working with clients. You know, typically I'm working with either facilitating teams, either leadership teams, project teams, or working uh, with individuals through coaching. And so bring these in when we're trying to think about, you know, how are we going to influence different groups? And we'll use this sometimes just as a brainstorming tool, going through each of the five and saying, how can we use these? How do we apply each of these? And um, also as a checklist. So as we're developing how we're going to influence people and making sure that we're trying to apply all five of them or at least as many as we can. That's great. And how do you, how do you um, I should probably rephrase that, what, what kind of reactions do you get from executive teams when you're using 
this is a checklist to having these conversations? Typically, I mean, it's fairly straightforward. So, you know, if we have something that's broken down into just five main things that you have to do, it's a lot easier than 99. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and so, you know, typically the reaction is, you know, this is simple and easy to use. So. Oh, that's great. So we've got the five. Uh, the first one being provide clarity. The right. second one, enable progress. The third one is build trust. The fourth one is invite participation. And the fifth one is motivate action. So out of those five, uh, which one do you find most commonly needed on a change project? Most commonly needed? I, well, I see them all being needed on any change project. Mm -hmm. um, you know, providing clarity, we've got to make sure that we're not being ambiguous. Um, and also just making sure that we're creating certainty where in a lot of cases there aren't, there, is, there isn't that certainty. Um, so we can provide clarity around things like what's the vision, what's the the why, what are the values that we're trying to tap into, um, giving people feedback, sharing what do we need people to do, all these things that we can be clear about. Um, uh -huh. But we also need to enable progress. So we need to both provide people with the ability to change and also get out of their way <laughs> or get obstacles out of their way. Uh -huh. uh, we, we, of course, need to build trust. Mm -hmm. and uh, trust in a lot of things, trust in leadership, trust in each other, trust in the change itself. Um, inviting participation, we need to engage people, get people involved. You know, change isn't something that we want to do to people. We want to make sure that change is done with people. Mm -hmm. And then we also need to motivate action. We need people to do things. And so we need to find ways to influence them or at least give them a reason to do what they need to do. Great. And you're also an executive coach, right? Yeah, so I work with uh, sometimes executives, but a lot of, in a lot of cases I'm working with change managers and project managers. Okay, great. Um, and so when you're uh, coaching a change manager or project manager and you're talking about uh, helping them to build trust in the organization or with their clients, um, how do you how do you apply some of these concepts in in that line of work? Well, first of all, trust is one of those tricky things, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's hard to define. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of cases, we can break it into. I, I like to break things down. I'm an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to break things into easy chunks. <laughs> right. Um, and so, so I, I come up with lots of checklists. So things like trust, we can have trust in leaders. So one of the things we need to do is make sure that, so if I'm working with a change manager, project manager, somebody like that, we need to make sure that leaders in the organization, the people who have authority, are doing things that are trustworthy and not trust-breaking. So mm -hmm. helping them be aligned and consistent and, um, you know, essentially do the right things. Mm -hmm. We also need to build trust in each other, so making sure that, that there's uh, teamwork and collaboration and things like that 
that are going on and that people are having the conversations that they need to have um, without breaking relationships. Mm. And we also need to build trust in the change itself. So doing things like designing tests and pilots and you know, demonstrating that the change is working, um, providing that information so people know mm-hmm. that, yes, we can trust that, that this change is going to happen. So yes. those are some of the ways that I would work with people to build trust. Yes, and you know what's interesting to me about what you were mentioning, you know, designing and pilots and learning labs or conference room pilots, whatever they're called in a, a significant methodology. Um, I know that having worked with a lot of IT implementations, sometimes we get carried away with, oh, we'll pilot it. No problem, we'll just pilot it. And it becomes this, you know, pack-on that goes into every implementation plan, but the change management messaging that you're talking about, you know, hasn't fully been applied. So um, the pilot becomes, you know, part of the what instead of helping really understand why it's there um, to help people trust the change. Uh, right. So that that came through very clearly uh, in what you were saying there. Let's see. So one of the things that um, I was thinking about as we were going to talk today um, were about uh, the lever of motivating action, which is number five. Um, mm-hmm. And I started thinking to myself, okay, I know the carrot and the stick story, um, mm-hmm. but what are the most effective ways to motivate action in your opinion? Well, there's a lot of different ways <laughs> to motivate action. <laughs> I, I um, again, breaking it down, I think of it as a grid. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I know this is audio, but if you think of on one, along one axis, you have whether something is a positive feedback or positive motivation or negative motivation. Mm-hmm. And then along the other axis, you have whether it's intrinsic or extrinsic. So intrinsic being that the motivation comes from myself versus extrinsic meaning the motivation comes from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so then we can start to talk about, okay, so things that are intrinsic and positive motivation are things like um, coming up with a compelling vision and mm-hmm. connecting to people's values and the what's in it for me, but also what's in it for my customers and my colleagues and the, the earth and <laughs> community and things like that. Right. Um, versus we have in the other, the opposite quadrant, the negative extrinsic are things like punishment or, you know, somebody's yelling at me. Um, you know, all the somebody else is doing something bad to me because of as a consequence of something, or to right. try to get me to do something. Um, and so then we have where am I? <laughs> negative intrinsic are things that are more like guilt and shame. Uh, you sure. know, the negative making people feel bad because they're not doing something. Right. And then we have positive and extrinsic, which are things like rewards, recognition, um, and things like that. Yeah, uh, that sounds, um, it sounds important to, to really get clear on uh, where you're wanting the action and what's motivating it, and then, and then 
figuring out how to apply that that lever, I guess, to the situation that. that right. You're in. I mean, if you if you if the only purpose is to get people to do something, and you don't mm-hmm. care about what happens afterwards, mm-hmm. those negative extrinsic things are pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something that you know, you're gonna be fired if you don't do this, right? Right. <laughs> that's that's a pretty hard thing to lean on, um, and right. it's gonna break. You know, that's obviously demoralizing and and all kinds of things. Um, so those are pretty short lived but very powerful. So we we want to stay away from those because it it kills morale and does a whole lot of other negative things to people. Versus if we can tap into that those positive intrinsic connecting the values, what's in it for me, what's the vision, you know, just those big picture, make people feel good about participating kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, then those can be, they're very uplifting for one, but also more long-lasting. Mm-hmm. So. That makes sense. And, you know, as I was going through these, I was thinking uh, about which lever is the most underutilized, in your opinion, and why. Um, I, I think it's probably two of them. I would mm-hmm. say that um, building trust, mm-hmm. sometimes we forget mm-hmm. that we need to do that, and it's also hard. You know, it's easy to break trust, harder to build trust, and it takes longer typically. Mm-hmm. So I think that can be underutilized because we just don't know how to do it. And then the other one is invite participation. Because a lot of times as, as change managers or project managers, I think our tendency is to try to control it and to try to come up with what it is we're trying to do and then influence people to do that versus using inviting participation as a lever of influence to get people to figure it out for themselves. So if we can give up a little bit of control and hand that over to other people who are going through the change to help and help them figure it out for themselves, then that's a lot more effective than just telling people what to do, basically. <laughs> right, right. And what, one of the things I've observed um, with some of my clients is that there's this selling that goes on, conceptual selling or spinning that goes on, which is much different than inviting participation. Mm-hmm. And so what what other levers can one use to reinforce um inviting participation as as a motivator to move forward. So let me just be clear about the question. Are you asking about different ways that we can invite participation? Well, yes, and I was also thinking that um, that different combinations of these levers work together oh, yeah. uh, sure. very very well. Yeah, I suddenly have the picture of the Olympic rings, how they all connect together, and <laughs> so there's five of them. Right. So definitely, you can't necessarily do one without doing others, um, for sure. But inviting participation, you know, providing clarity is one way. Again, you know, I, I say provide, I put it under the umbrella of provide clarity, which mm-hmm. gives the impression that it's all about telling or showing mm-hmm. people what the clarity is versus helping people become clear, which mm-hmm. I think is another, another way to look at it. Right. How can, we, how can we help people become clear? So it's not just about what do I need them to know or do, but versus what do they, what can they come up with to mm-hmm. do? 
Right. And that, you know, that one connects for me a little bit into the enabling progress. And so, you know, I liked what you had said in your blog on this um, quote, for those whose difficulty with change is internal, help them deal with their fears and emotions by developing support systems and fostering resilience. And then your next sentence was, uh, for others who need to increase their capability to change, build skills, provide tools, and find ways to make it easy. So which, how do you find this one playing out in some of the conversations that you have with your clients? Well, one of the things I include in my approach is looking at resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's too much to go into now, but looking at what are the sources of resistance and and taking putting basically putting yourself in other people's shoes mm-hmm. to figure out what what might be, what might they be going through as we implement this change. And that way we can start to identify the things that are internal. What are those fears that maybe they have or what other ways might they be getting in their own way? Uh And then um, also on the flip side, so the things that are external or how do we we enable people to change by creating environments that enable change? Um, I once, it makes me think of uh, one of the, projects that I worked on early in my career was to develop more of an innovative culture. And one of the complaints I had was that the walls in the office were gray. Mm. I mean, they were a, a shape, they were white, but the, it was actually called touch of gray or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like the Grateful Dead or something. But it was, <laughs> I mean, it was literally like a grayish white. And so it just was very mind-numbing to me. So I, I, my suggestion was, can we color? Can we put paint on the wall so it actually has color? If we want to be more innovative, and actually they told me no. Unfortunately, but that was one of the thing, one of the ways I wanted to help create an environment that enables change. Um, but there are a lot of ways. It doesn't have to be the physical environment, but just even processes and the rules and the culture and what other ways can we make sure that we're creating an organization that enables change instead of disabling change. Right. Right. Yeah, because here you're talking about when the organization itself gets in the way. Um, you know, you need to remove obstacles, adjust the environment, and eliminate any barriers that hinder change. And, you know, it's it's interesting because sometimes uh, when when one gets on a large initiative that, you know, you get so focused into the phases of the project and um, all of the reengineering and all the, you know, redesign of the future world, and and then all of a sudden, you know, you stop and you say, okay, well, what about the environment we're in today and what needs to really happen with that. And I don't think the question is asked that much um, as the project is actually happening, never mind what kind of state, you know, they're trying to design for the future. So let's see. So we're we're about out of time and I'm wondering in terms of kind of uh, the wisdom of Heather Stagel, what would you 
what would you, well, there's a lot here, um, at least 99 of them plus five more, so 104 uh, words of wisdom or concepts. Um, but what would you like to have people take away from this discussion? What are some of the, you know, key points that you think will help change management practitioners working with their clients? I would say keep it simple, which mm. on one hand is simple. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring it from 99 down to five things is that it's a lot easier to remember. I need to do these five things. Right. You can break, you know, take 99 different ways to influence change and and bring them down into five. If we can remember that I need to do at least these five things, I need to provide clarity, enable progress, build trust, invite participation, and motivate action. If I'm doing those five things, then I should be making progress myself, uh, or the organization should be making progress. Um, So I would uh, use that as a checklist and, and see for yourself how that goes. That's great. I think that's I think that's very helpful because often uh, we don't get it in such a simple format, you know, where uh, where we can actually not only look at the five levers, but then you provide some real actionable um, tips on what to do in order to leverage them. So, uh, so I I like it. It's very action oriented. So thank you very much for your time, and um, it was very nice to talk about your book and the five levers of influence. And if you want to know more about Heather and her work at Enclaria, you can go to her website at www.enclaria.com. Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, listening to Teresa Moulton of Change Management Review, interviewing Heather Stagel, the author of 99 Ways to Influence Change and the founder of Enclaria. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.